Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me, of course, uh, because it's Wednesday. That's what we do on Wednesdays. Danny Ratliff joins me. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so what's on the agenda this morning? What uh, What's happening in the world of uh, financial planning and uh, personal finance that uh, will excite and, and intrigue us? Incite and intrigue you. Well, if we're going to incite and intrigue not Lance, inc- we're in no, trouble. No, not incite, excite. <laughs> well, you know, there's a couple of things. So obviously, uh, retirement has swelled during the pandemic. So lots of studies that are coming out now suggesting that many more people retired than what initially were expected, uh, which makes sense. Yeah, you know, a lot can, of people can, were forced. Can, can, yeah, I was going to say, can we quantify that? <laughs> retirement's, well, u- retirement's usually deemed as an optional thing, <laughs> like it's something that I chose yeah. to do, uh, not when somebody tells you you have to retire. <laughs> Correct. So, you know, that that is a big thing. They're saying actually 1.7 more older Americans actually were forced into retirement. And some of it were was a little bit... Um, you know, was was by choice because they said, you know what? Hey, uh, the risk reward scenario isn't as great. We were looking to get out of here anyways. Now may be a good time to hit the exits. But many people who um, wanted to continue to work were unable to. And so I think that poses a bigger issue. We've seen it. We had a lot of clients who were hoping to continue to work for a handful of more years who were actually forced into it. We had to readjust a whole lot of plans. And I think that's going to impact consumption for you know quite some time. You know, we talk about the demographic issue that we already have, Lance. Mm-hmm. This could actually present a completely different problem that maybe we're not even taking into an account. Well, I think there's really two things when you really think about this is that, first of all, let's break down the demographics of the country first. Um, you know, the top 10 and there's actually a great chart out we posted out on our Twitter account this morning showing who holds the most cash, right? Who has all the cash? So the top 10% of income earners own about 70% of the cash. The next 40% own basically the balance of the cash. The bottom 50%, which is interesting because on this chart, they actually uh, stated the the bottom 50% are the working poor, Right. And, and that's hard. You know, that's that's the change dynamic we've seen over the last 20 years has been this this middle class has shrunk dramatically. The, the working poor is generally your bottom 20 percent. They're now 50 percent of the population. So my point about this is, is that, you know, the, the clients that you and I talked to, Danny, that were forced into retirement. There, these are higher net worth individuals Correct. that have money to invest, and they've done a good job savings. They've got their nest egg put away, and so they're going. Yeah, I was kind of forced to retire. Risk reward really wasn't my favor, but yeah, I'm okay. The reality is, is that about nine, about between eighty and ninety percent of these people that were forced to retire, they're now working at Walmart, driving an Uber, driving in a Lyft. You know, they're they're not retiring, and that's one of the big problems with these stats that we get. You know, from uh, the government talking about labor force participation, which adjusts for who they think has retired. Um, and they go, oh, we have 10,000 people a day retiring. They're not retiring. They're, they may step out of the, the full-time labor force, but now they're working you know, one, two, three part-time jobs just to make ends meet. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And this study does actually show that older workers without a college degree are actually the ones who are most represented in these numbers. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are having a difficult time staying on and, and finding work. Yeah. So I think you're right. You're seeing more. You're probably going to see more and more of that gig economy, which is interesting because, you know, we we classify that gig economy as your Uber drivers, as the people who are delivering, uh, you know, doing all these different things. And now I think it's probably they're, they're doing more DoorDash than Uber. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, 
because th- there's just the, the the dynamic has shifted so greatly. Yeah. Well, look, and that that has huge economic implications that a lot of people don't think about. Is you know we. we you know, we often look back in the 50s and the 60s and we go, wow, you know, America was great back in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, we had 8% economic growth rates. We had high savings rates. Yeah, interest rates were going up because growth in the economy was growing, right? But we were manufacturing. We were manufacturing everything. We made everything from blue jeans to televisions right here in good old America. And we were shipping it out overseas because we were rebuilding most of Europe um, and Japan after World War II. You know, the difference today is, is the service businesses that we have, the gig economy, right, are the lowest wage paying jobs. Um, This is why Uber's fighting so desperately, desperately right now in California to try to keep their drivers from being classified as employees so they don't have to pay insurance, health benefits, um, you know, payroll taxes, all the other things. They just want to pay their drivers 1099 and, and be done with it. But that drives, and that's why really, more importantly than anything else, A, we don't get stronger rates of economic growth, but B, this is why you've got this swelling of this bottom 50% of the economy that are now the working class poor. What's the fix? Well, I mean, where, where, where can we correct this? You can't. That ship sailed. You know, oh, come this, on, is, man. this is the funny thing. Right. No, this is the funny thing. Politicians, you know, all, all come up and they all say, you know, look, President Trump, make America great again. He had the right idea. Bring manufacturing back to America. The, the problem was, is his whole strategy was very misguided. You can lower tax rates. That's not the problem. The problem is that we as Americans have all gotten used to having or demanding, right? We want $15 an hour minimum wage. We want health care benefits paid for by the company. We want vacation days. We want paid time off. We want maternity leave, paternity leave. We want child tax care. We want all this stuff, right? And Brent and I were having this conversation the other day. If, if I hire somebody for $50,000, and Danny, you know this because you and I work on payroll <laughs> budgets <laughs> you know when you hire an, a new employee it's not just 50,000 it's 50,000 plus another 25,000 a year for all the other stuff and when you're competing with comp- countries that pay $2 an hour at best in a lot of cases no no benefits no time off no nothing you can't compete with that you cannot import manufacturing into the country today because nobody will be able to afford the cost, right? You know, it's like, oh, let's manufacture here. Let's let's manufacture stuff in America. Great. $5,000 for a television versus $150 at Walmart. That's what you're talking about. So you can't fix it. This is this is how the economy works. We all want more stuff. We want it cheaper. And the only way we can do that is to export inflation through labor cost and offshore manufacturing and import deflation through cheaper prices. That's it. You can't change impossible. that. Dynamic. You can't change it. Yeah, it, which which it won't won't happen. And if we want to be like Europe and have all the social programs like they do, then it's you're going to there, make. There's it. no way you're going to be competitive. Well, and this is the problem with this three and a half trillion dollar spending bill. You're only going to make the situation worse. Yes, for twelve months, you're going to have a boost to the economy. So, if I was Joe Biden. I would pass this bill in the late third year of my presidency because for one year, I'm going to have a boost to the economy. So I'm going to go out as the president with a really strong economy for one year, and then everything's going to revert back to the norm. And when because inflation will price everything in, that's what's going to happen with this bill. We're going to get further into debt, 
and have no productivity out of it to pay for the debt. And that's that's that is the overriding problem that's been plaguing the economy, not for 10 years, not for 20, for the last 40. So anyway, now you got me off in a different stick and this is your show today. So what else you got? So, you know, child tax credits, we've talked quite a bit about this. In July, we people started to receive their first payments. Uh, this There was a big change to that. If, if you're accustomed to what that child tax credit is, it's typically they've given you a $2,000 credit per child. They actually increased that to $3,600 for a child under six. If they're six to 17, it's $3,000. But the big caveat, two big changes that occurred were that they were going to actually pay you half of that throughout the year. And so those mm -hmm. checks started to go out in July. Um, and now we're actually seeing that this is a fully refundable credit. So even if you don't have a tax liability, you're going to get a potential refund from this tax credit. So it's pretty interesting as far as how they've worked this. Now, you want to talk about big numbers, Lance. Um, 60, there, there was, the numbers are actually astronomical um, as far as how much money went out. Just last month, $15 billion went out mm -hmm. in the form of child tax credits. I mean, think about that. Yeah, no, and it's interesting because my wife, uh, so my wife gets gets deposits now once a month um, of these child tax credits. What's the consequence, though, for higher income earners? Those are those do become taxable, right? Because they're just kind well, of, yeah, they're kind of just sending stuff out willy nilly. Uh, they're not really looking at who needs it or whatever. It's like, oh, if you've got it, I don't have. Unfortunately, I don't have any dependents, so I don't get a check. Um, my, my wife does, and my ex wife gets all the checks. But um, where, where? Wait a second, how, isn't that where all the money goes, anyways? Yeah, I know, right? It's just. Um, but where? What happens to a lot of people that are taking these checks or spending it? Is there a tax liability down the road potentially? Well, there, there are income limitations, and so there are people who are receiving them right now who may want to shut those off or be prepared to later, you know, pay those back. Because if you're over those income thresholds, that could be, you know, you're going to have to pay some money back. And so, depending on what your tax bill looks like, just be prepared. And I think that's where people are being set up for failure in this instance if you're not being diligent with this and understanding exactly, you know, hey, maybe I shouldn't be receiving these, or if I am. I need to put these aside. You can also contact them and have them stop it. That's uh, it's fairly yeah. easy to do. Sure, but but you know this. I know this. Ninety nine percent of Americans don't know that there, there's money showing up in their account. And they're well, I shouldn't say ninety nine. Ninety percent of Americans don't know this, right? Money right. showing up in their accounts, and they're going, "Hey, I got free money. Let's go buy something." That's right. That's and, right. I mean, most people, it, it comes in, it goes out, and that's unfortunate because you know nobody's going to read read the fine print here. And come come tax time next year, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises. Yeah, but because they didn't do a good enough job letting letting people know. Now I will tell you this: President Biden did send me an official document letting <laughs> me know that he was going to send send some money. Um, I thought that was pretty nice. <laughs> nice. All right, when we come back from the break. Uh, we'll get into this. So one thing is, is these child tax credits the way they are now? This expansion ends at the end of this year unless this $3.5 trillion package gets passed, which will permanently, well, at least for five years, exp expand that again. So, you know, the problem with anything that you do where you expand Medicare, Medicaid, any type of government benefit, the problem is, is once you do it, it becomes permanent and it never gets repealed. This is the problem with all, all spending in government. It never goes away. Um, all right, be back after the break. Pick up more with Danny Ratliff. Um, also, we'll touch on just a bit here about S&P 5000. I touched on it at the beginning of the show, but we'll get a little bit more into that next. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show this morning. I tell you what, if you go by our website, 
realinvestmentadvice.com. Like uh, the ad just said, you can get our latest blog posts, videos. Everything is there for you. Our daily market commentary, a new feature we're now offering out every morning. Uh, simply go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's right there under the main banner. It says daily market commentary. Today, we're talking about S&P 5000. Um, also has everything you need to know before the market opens in the morning, earnings, economic data, top news, everything's there for you to help you kind of go with your cup of coffee, get you started for the day. Um, and if you want to, you can subscribe to it. There's a link to subscribe to the Daily Market Commentary email. We'll just email it directly to you at 7.30 a.m. Central Standard Time every morning. So you'll have it. And this morning, Michael Leibowitz is going for clickbait title with his newest post, what a Miami stripper and a fiscal elephant have in common. Ooh. So I'm not even going to tell you what it's about because just. <laughs> I'm just curious how he decided that he was going to start studying these two things. Well, uh, sorry, honey, I, I had to do now, some analysis now, here. Okay, well, see, now if I explain it, right, it's going to kind of ruin the article. But the, the article is about the big short. Uh, Michael Lewis wrote an article about the big short. And in the, the movie... And in the book, The Big Short, talks about a Miami stripper who was taking on tremendous amounts of mortgage debt to buy all kinds of houses because you could back in 2008, right? So, yep. and it has a lot to do with what we're doing with our debt right now. So, clickbait-wise, it should work very well. <laughs> so, you're saying the research wasn't as much fun as it sounds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it wasn't. Uh, anyway, um, couple of things this morning to, to get into as we, we kind of left off talking a little bit about these child tax credits of course um, you know now the government's talking about the passage of this of this massive spending bill and again as we as we said kind of winding up that last uh, last segment that the child tax credit expansion ends this year and this the the this three and a half trillion dollar spending package is set to expand that credit for five years so you know, there's just, again, kind of this whole idea, we need to do more spending, we need to do more stuff, send more, you know, put more chickens in every pot in terms of, you know, government care of the population. And there's a huge difference between the three and a half trillion dollar spending bill and, and we're now approaching the same amount of money on a relative basis as spending as part of GDP as we did with the New Deal back during the depression a massive difference though the money spent during the great depression was productive we were building things with it roads bridges railroads and and we were building we weren't repairing them we were building new ones we were connecting the country from one area to another to allow people to expand their productivity and their and their manufacturing capacity their delivery and all those type of things that created much more economic growth. And, you know, when we talk about the Depression, what people don't understand is the economy was growing at 9.5% during the Depression. The Depression was caused by the facts that banks failed and there was no FDIC insurance and people lost all their money. So, but the economy was still growing. The things were, people were still working, there was still functioning going on, those type of things. There was also a massive dust storm in the Midwest that basically just racked cattle production. So there were, there were other factors that were happening during the Depression outside of just the collapse of the financial markets. That was only one, one factor of it. But 
the economy grew very strongly, and we did a lot of productive spending. We built dams and, and Tennessee River Valley Authority and all these things that were productive investments that paid for themselves over time. This bill, this $3.5 trillion bill, on top of the $1.5 trillion, on top of the $4 trillion we spent last year, has all been non-productive. Creates inflation, does not create economic activity, and ultimately has worse consequences down the road for slower rates of economic growth. We should not be doing this, but this is how the Democrats feel at this point that they're going to get votes by giving more. If I, if basically, if I buy your vote, you give. If I give you money, you'll vote for me. That's the idea here. What they don't realize is, is they're not actually helping anybody. You're going to help them for one year, and then their things are going to be worse off for them because their incomes haven't grown. They've made decisions to not work as much because they've got this extra money coming in. Then inflation, cost of living goes up beyond what they can, they can afford, and they wind up deeper into the poverty line the second year. That's just the way this is going to work out. It's just simply math. So anyway, finishing up with the conversation about child tax credits, Danny, your comments. Well, and that's exactly the same thing that child tax credit is doing at the moment. You know, it's going to raise 40 percent of those families that are in below that poverty line above it. But what happens next year? One, if it goes away, that's going to be a completely different story, which it should go away. I don't think that this is, you know, th this is just going to raise the level of that poverty line and then everybody's going to be back below it the next year. Right. So it's going to be very difficult, though. For somebody to actually come back and and vote against this by saying, hey, we're going to take all. Oh, by the way, guys, we just gave you this check Oh, on a monthly basis. So now you're really accustomed to using it on a monthly mm -hmm. basis. And then we're going to take it away. Don't worry about it, guys. You're going to be OK. Right. Well, but, you know, the thing that they did. The, and again, this all sounds great. But what they don't factor into this is, you know, say let's say Brent, you know, has, you know, Brent Clanton's family child care, you know, pre-K class service right whatever mm -hmm. well any business and this is and this is the thing people forget about capitalism is that if i know that brent's getting you know if that if brent knows sorry let me phrase it correctly if brent knows that i'm getting more money every month to pay for for child care what do you think brent does with his cost right <laughs> You know, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna raise his child care and this is gonna happen across the country child care providers are gonna go Government's giving you more money? Okay. What do you think happened with college costs? Everybody's amazed at, at tuition costs for college. It's like, I can't believe how much college costs. Well, no, duh. I mean, in 2009, the federal government takes over the student loan program. For decades, college tuition grew at about the rate of inflation. And this was simply a function of people applying for college. They went to a bank. They had to qualify for a student loan. If they wanted to get it, they had to actually have a reason for needing it. Um, and this really kept a cap on college tuition costs. As soon as the government took it over and the colleges went, the government's paying for this? College tuition costs doubled. And then more people went and borrowed more money from the government. The government gave them more money, and, and colleges said, okay, we'll double it again. Let's see, let's see where the ceiling is, right? And so college costs have spiraled. And now instead of, instead of realizing that's the problem and cutting that student loan program off and turning it back to banks, making people actually qualify for it again, we're just going to forgive the student loan debt now. So now colleges are going, great, now they can get free debt. I'm going to raise my tuition even more. See, the, the, the loss of connection of what people think about in Washington and how it works in the real world 
is completely broken. And that goes with mainstream economists as well that have never been out of the ivory tower. They just have no clue how the actual economy works. Well, that's a very good point. And that's, that's the unfortunate part about how academics have been running the country for so long that they don't actually have any clue as far as what, how the businesses work or how things are ran. So you talked about the big short, talked yep. a little bit about Michael Burry last week, Lance. Mm -hmm. um, there's a position that you actually own within the portfolio, TLT. Michael Burry came out, comes out this week, and he is actually shorting TLT now. What do you think of that? Well, look, there's a, there's a lot of bet here. And again, there's, the bet is, is that there's going to be rampant inflation in the next couple of years. That is probably a correct statement that we're going to have inflation from all this money printing, et cetera, those type of things. The problem becomes is that as soon as you get a spark of inflation, you're going to wind up in a recession because two things are going to happen. One is that as soon as you start to see a kick up of inflation, the Fed is going to start to taper and hike rates, right? They are going to fight that inflation spike when it occurs. And in fact, this week, we're going to start getting a much more clarity kind of on their current positioning heading into Jackson Hole about their schedule for taper as it is. But what will happen here is interest rates, oh, sorry, inflation spikes up. When inflation spikes up, the Fed's going to start to taper. As soon as they start to taper, that means money's going to leave risk assets and move into safety assets, which will be treasury bonds. So this will lead to an immediate reversion in bonds. You may see rates tick up here a bit. You may get a, you may get a tick up in rates to, say, 2%. That's possible from here. Um, that's probably about the most you're going to get. And then rates are going to run back down towards zero as soon as you hit the next air pocket in the financial markets. Um, and, and money starts to rotate from risk on to risk off. And that's just really kind of been the dynamic over the course of the last decade. Um, every time the Fed starts doing monetary policy and, 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 and doing QE, rates rise because it's a shift in risk preference from risk off being treasury bonds to risk on being stocks. When there is a risk off event in the markets, money floods back into treasuries for safety. And again, you're seeing this globally right now. Japan has been a huge buyer of treasuries as of late as, as, as the need goes to put money into a better performing asset, which is the U.S. dollar. So, so while I don't disagree with Michael Burry in the short term, I disagree with him long term is your point. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Seems like he's going to be a hot topic here as uh, the media is beginning to pick him back up on a week to week basis. You know, last week with going after Kathy Wood and ARC and now, uh, you know, shorting TLT. We'll see what next week brings, right? Look, yeah. And look, I'm not arguing with Michael Burry short term. I mean, there's a real risk here. We could see a pop in rates. Um, but as soon as you have that pop in rates, the whole house of cards is going to come apart economically. And so <laughs> that's, you know, it may be a short term trade, but I don't think Michael Burry's in it for the long term. This morning coming out, uh, MBA mortgage applications, uh, durable goods orders, non-defense capital goods. Those are what they call core durable goods. This is stuff that people buy on a more regular basis. Uh, durable goods include aircraft. Um, you know, I bought my private jet last week, so I won't need one for a while. Um, so those, so 
we look at kind of core durables, that's things like cars and refrigerators, washers, dryers, and even those. And this is really kind of one of the tricks with durable good orders is that that's stuff you don't buy on a regular basis. I mean, you you know, you buy a washer and a dryer once every few years. You buy a, a refrigerator once every few years, you know, whatever it is. Um, so even when you take a look at durable goods and core durable goods, you really kind of got to even get down into the more mac micro basis of those durable goods orders and to really look what's going on with stuff that people buy every day, those type of things. So, but again, those are going to be out this morning. Don't ex uh, those are likely going to be a little bit weaker. We're already starting to see weakness in all the manufacturing indexes after that surge. Not surprising. Everybody got checks to spend last year. That $1,400 checks to households, everybody ran out. They bought washers and dryers, and um, they went to Home Depot and Lowe's and bought stuff to fix up their yard You know, nine, you know, know, and everything else. That's all done now. The checks are now fading from the system. But uh, even if you give me another check today, I'm, I'm not going to go buy another washer and dryer. So don't be surprised if durable goods orders come in a good bit weaker than expected. Uh, again, we're still kind of in that phase where we're seeing some year-over-year -year comparisons. So, I mean, it could be stronger today, but we're going to see a trend of weakness starting to show up in a lot of these uh, manufacturing-based indicators. Um, earnings today, Salesforce, Autodesk, and Ulta um, are kind of the big earnings announcements today. So, again, we put all this in our daily market commentary. Go by realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, click on our daily market commentary link. Get our latest commentary. Subscribe for email delivery. We'll have it to you. Um, okay, Danny, getting ready to wrap up the show. What you want to talk about? So I know one of the things that's near and dear to you, Social Security. And so I've seen a lot of articles recently. You're saying I'm that, old, right? Well, you should be <laughs> starting to think about these things. I mean, come on, Lance. But I've been seeing more and more articles about filing early. And I think that there, there can be an argument made for people to actually take benefits prior to full retirement age or not delay till 70, which we do like and we typically do encourage. Mm -hmm. But one thing I keep seeing is that there's a lot of articles that are missing the point in the sense of, not understanding that if you do take these benefits early, and this is what I fear is that a lot of people are reading these and they don't quite understand what, what the impact may be, is that if you're taking these benefits early, you can actually have a reduction in benefits that are going to be, number one, permanent. You can also have benefits withheld, meaning that you're not going to be getting the income that you anticipate because you may make too much mm -hmm. income. And, you know, we talk about diversification of assets frequently, meaning you know, what type of accounts do you have funds in? Where are they registered? And I think this is really important for a number of reasons. You know, one, we want to keep as much money in your pocket as possible long term. You know, with you know, we talk about all these spending bills, another three point five trillion here, not to mention everything prior to the pandemic and then the pandemic numbers, and then all the things that we're going to continue to do because, like you said, we have to get those votes. Somebody's going to have to pay for this. And so there's a lot of stealth taxes that are out there. Social Security is certainly one of them. Medicare, there, I suspect there's going to be a number of other ways. But the thing I continue to see is these articles fail to mention that you could have benefits withheld. You're going to be taking a, a smaller amount than what you would typically get. And this does impact your spouse as well. And so, you know, looking at all of those things, I think that's really important for people to understand longer term and make sure you take that into an account. Run the numbers. Go look at the the big picture don't just go in and say hey um you know what this guy made a good point um in fact the last article i read and, and he did make some good points in the sense that he said hey i don't have a lot of longevity in my family my parents all passed early um this guy was was lance do you know what a, a mexican luchador is i don't 
I, I, may have had, those... I may have had one with a margarita once, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. <laughs> well, that would be kind of weird. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's one of the uh, the Mexican wrestlers. So this guy wrote an article, okay. and it, a lot of places picked it up. And he, yeah, he I think, I, think really I did good have point. margarita with him once. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But so so yeah, kind of cool. Look him up. The guy's name is Latin Thunder. Uh, actually, still wrestles. But he's he's a factory worker. And he says, look, I, I don't anticipate working this graveyard shift when I'm in my early 60s. My parents all passed when I was young. Uh, but the one thing that that most people probably don't take into account is that you're not going to be able to live off that social security. And if you are, you're going to be you're going to be drawing from other assets as well which therefore could have all those implications that we just discussed. So what, and so, so how long, is, so if, if you're going to delay taking a social security, what's the maximum length of the delay you should take? Well, look, you can only delay until 70. Then why do you um, keep telling me I can't take social security till 85? Uh, what? I can't hear you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep I'm saying sorry, I want to retire. He says you can't retire till the 85. So now your I know. Your financial I can... plan does not work, Lance. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just have to continue going. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. For a long time. Rich and I have his plan set up very, very nice. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, so the big thing is, is that if you take it before full retirement age, which is, which is 66 or 67, depending on age, then you're going to get a reduced benefit. You're also going to have potentially benefits withheld if you make too much money, meaning that you, you may not be working, but you could have deferred comp. You could have assets that you're pulling from your traditional IRA, your 401k. Those are going to, those are going to count towards that. Um, now, if you delay each and every year that you delay, you're going to get an 8% bump from that full retirement age. This is really important for those out there that are actually going to be, uh, you know, that are married, uh, especially if your spouse is a little bit younger. Um, you know, if you pass, then your, sp your spouse will get your benefit. And so the larger the, the amount the better, right? right. And so I think that delaying is going to be beneficial, especially if you're the breadwinner. Um, and then, you know, by waiting to a full retirement age, if you take it prior to full retirement age and your spouse is going to get spousal benefits, they're going to get a reduced amount as well. So this does have far, far reaching implications greater than just, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm going to take it early. Yeah, I get a little bit less. But, um, you know, most people take it early because it's emotional. Now, there are times like this guy was mentioning that, hey, you know, longevity in family is not that great. Uh, had a kind of a rough job. You know, I don't know what my longevity looks like. You know, hey, I, I get it. But, you know, looking at the big picture, you know, many people do it just because they say, hey, I'm getting as much out of this as I can. And unfortunately, the numbers would suggest that that's just not the case if you do actually have a little bit of longevity, which, you know, more and more people, once you do reach 65, you're going to see that, you know, your chances of, of living longer increase substantially. So, um, you know, be very careful with what you read and what you see out there and well, you know, take it with a grain of salt and understand the, the consequences, you know, good and bad. Yeah, but you brought up a good point here talking about, you know, one thing that could impact you is the money that you take out of IRAs and, you know, tax deferred accounts, which is one of the things that, you know, when I talk to people, um, you know, and see this a lot, you know, all their savings, 100% of their savings are their 401k and their IRAs. Um, this is why it's, you know, we talk a lot about it's so important to have a diversified account structure where you have roughly 50% of your money into something you've already paid tax on so that when you do get into retirement, you can kind of control your taxable rate by drawing some money from the IRAs uh, to meet your annual withdrawal rates. But you know, you can also supplement your income from stuff you already paid tax on. So it doesn't kick you up into a higher tax bracket, doesn't impact your Social Security benefits. 
So, you know, having a, a strategy based around the type of accounts and where your savings are is also very important to this. Well, that, that's huge. And, you know, it's it's great. This year we started to hear about the, you know, Roth IRAs. Are, they're fantastic. Yeah. And we've been talking about this for, for quite some time. And now Susie Orman and everybody else decides that, oh, taxes are going up next year. Maybe we should go ahead and do this now. Right. Um, well, look, you're probably a little bit too late here. Um, but, uh, you look, I, I think anything's better than, than nothing. So by utilizing a strategy, starting to put funds aside to give you flexibility, that is going to be crucial. And I think it's going to be ever so important now looking at the landscape of, you know, where we are, what taxes are going to potentially be. And, you know, while they say, hey, we're only going to raise taxes on the rich, I think we know better that it's going to have far, far reaching implications. And it'll be those stealth taxes. It'll be the small things with Social Security. It'll be the small things with Medicare. It'll be other things that they're going to think of that aren't going to maybe just it's not as obvious from just raising tax brackets. Mm -hmm. It's going to be all the little stuff that they can sneak in there that, oh, well, this is just going to be small here. So they're going to they're going to chip away little by little. And that's going to be the big impact over time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's really pretty much that that is the case. And again, you know, we can this whole idea of taxing the rich is, you know, sounds like a great idea. Uh, the problem is, is, look, you could take away all the money. I mean, you could take away all of the 137 billion or whatever that belongs to Jeff Bezos, the 150 billion or whatever that belongs to, you know, uh, Musk and Gates and everybody else combined, you know, you could take away all their money and you wouldn't put a dent in the debt or the spending that we've done. Um, and so the question is, is sure. Yeah, we great. We can go tax all these people more. All they're going to do is mo move their money offshore anyway, because already doing it. Uh, we have a record number of people filing for expats this year, uh, basically relinquishing membership, uh, uh, U.S. citizenship and moving to other countries to avoid this. You know, so we're just shifting that whole burden on to the middle and lower class who really can't afford higher taxes because they're the ones that get penalized. They may not pay higher taxes. They're going to pay higher prices, which is worse because you spend higher prices. Much more of your money goes to higher prices than goes to taxes. So, yeah, you may give them a lower tax rate, but this is the problem with the way people vote, too. They really don't even understand. They just say, oh, I'm going to vote for lower taxes. That's great. Or let's go tax the rich. That's wonderful. Nobody tells them what the consequence is going to be, and it's going to be worse for them than the tax rate was to begin with. Everybody wants to use those guys as, as kind of the benchmark for, yeah. oh, look at this rich guy, Jeff Bezos. Well, look, how many people are, are there out there like him? Very how many few. are there that, yeah, that's very right. Few. Very, one very percent. few. 1%. <laughs> so, Not even. It's one-tenth of 1%, one yeah. Uh, all right, Danny, thank you so much. Appreciate the time today. Be back tomorrow, of course. Michael Leibowitz here to talk a little bit about the Fed, Jackson Hole. And, of course, that is the whole focus coming up here for the markets S&P 5000 mm, it's in it's in sight I mean it's not that far away a couple hundred you know about 400 points will be there uh, can we get there next year it's all going to depend on the Fed really uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz get by the website today realinvestmentadvice.com get our latest daily market commentary our latest blog post newsletter more YouTube videos all there for you realinvestmentadvice.com and most importantly if you have a question for Danny for myself for Richard just feel free ask a question uh, request more information on services it's all all there for you absolutely free realinvestmentadvice.com we'll see you tomorrow it's a rich man's world